Paul, I want to go back to the Corinthians because it's one that I particularly love and have particularly at times have found difficult because love is not jealous, envy, jealousy, basic human feeling. I don't defy anybody to say they've escaped it both at a personal level and envy and jealousy at a collective level. Impatient, all of those things, we all experience those. And it's hard to feel that, well, I'm not loving if I experience those. They're just natural human emotions. 1 Corinthians 13 is, of course, the wedding text. I like it at weddings too, though I'm not sure the bride and groom just quite understand what a text they're actually reading because it's powerful for all of us and it's challenging for all of us. Love is not a noun, it's a verb. It's a doing word. And that's what Paul's saying. You can say you love someone till the cows come home. But if you're jealous and envious and angry and treat people badly, you don't love them. So it's a doing word. I always say to couples... But you can feel jealous of somebody and really love them. You might have a really good friend and you love them very much and you know they're a really good person, but you can't help feeling if they're better than you at something or if they get more attention than you. Just from being childhood up, you're going to feel it's like that awful sick feeling. You Mm. mightn't like it, but... It's just so natural. Mm. I think everything has to be kept in check. I think, well, you know, when we talk in Christianity, we don't have an awful lot of nuance sometimes. So when Paul talks in these absolutes, and so does Jesus for that matter, talk in these absolutes, it's always got to be coloured by, well, everything's on a level or on a grade. There's one to ten on jealousy. There's one to ten on envy. There's one to ten on telling the truth. Like, for instance, it's not a good thing to always tell the truth every time, everywhere, every time. Because, for instance, we believe in the virtual prudence. So the virtual prudence from Thomas Aquinas in the Summa Theologica, middle of the 13th century, he comes along and says, well, one of the great virtues is prudence. We don't talk about this very much anymore. I do explore a bit of this in The Law of Love as well. To be a prudent person says telling the truth or telling what needs to be said at the right time to the right place in the right way. That's a prudential thing to do. So back to your example of being jealous of somebody or envious of somebody. Yeah, they're going to be very natural instincts and wanting what they've got or wanting what we perceive they've got anyway. Like the number of times, for instance, that I've thought that a couple have got the perfect marriage or someone's got the perfect family life. And then a little while later, I discover that wasn't quite the case. And someone's, you know, got all the gifts. And then I sort of discover, well, they're lacking just a couple of gifts like being compassionate and easy to work with or something like that. So, you know, we're we're all a, a complex mix. But there's a grade of 1 to 10 at least. It could be a grade of 1 to 100. In other words, we talk in absolutes, and that's not all particularly helpful. So when we come to love as kind, love as patient, we're being called to a big love there. But it's indicating, I think, the the greater story there. If Paul is saying, look, it's a verb. You've got to do it. And like saying it, it's love is not a feeling. It's a doing word. If you love someone, you can feel wonderful about it. But how you really demonstrate that is how do you behave? And your behavior is how you will indicate. And I say in the book, you know, that um, just I try to keep the as, as important and as um, there's some good scholarship in the book, I hope. But I also try to intersperse it with some stories and some, you know, some real life events. And I talk about weddings. I say that uh, in these weddings, uh, when they've chosen 1 Corinthians as the text that they want among the other texts at their wedding, I say, look, what I'd like you to do is to take out the word love and put in the words, Jenny, 
is loving and kind. John is always patient. Uh, John never seeks the downfall of the other, but hopes all things endure all things. Jenny's love will not come to an end. And whenever I give them that speech, they normally say, I'm not sure we should have that text after it. <laughs> My point exactly. <laughs> yeah, because it feels too much. It feels too high. But what Paul's saying is... If you're going to stand there and say, I'm going to love you for the rest of my life, then I'm going to have to show that every single day. And, you know, I think a really basic one, and I have that in the thing on 1, 1 Corinthians 13, is um, uh, they did this wonderful survey in Australia a few years ago of people that have been married for 50, 60 or 70 years who would describe their marriages as good, that they've had a good marriage. Notice they didn't say happy. I'm a bit against the happiness industry. Not that I don't want people to have joy, but I think, you know, saying the goal of life is to be happy these days is not all that helpful, to be honest. But whatever of that. So, Why not? Well, I think it's a false goal. I think that we've got to get our kids and all of us ready for the times. They're not happy. I'm not sure about you, but not every day at work for me is a happy day. Not every one of my relationships has been a happy experience. And even, dare I say, not every day in the Catholic Church has been the happiest day of my life. So making it a goal, you hear parents say, I don't care what my kids do as long as they're happy. I've never heard a parent say, I don't care what my kids do as long as they're just and good and people of integrity, they're faithful, hopeful and loving. Now, I do know that that's what they want. But we've now in Ireland and Australia, we've got in our vernacular this concept that happiness is the goal in life. It's a category mistake. And I think it's got serious mental health outcomes that we're telling young people, you're always meant to be happy. And if you're not, well, what's wrong? So I've got to change my job or change my relationships or or get out of the Catholic Church because I'm not happy here. Well, no, it's category mistake. I think we've got to be people of joy. Pope Francis' first letter to the church was the gospel of joy. So different between joy and happiness? Yeah, I think joy is lots of that happens in your life. They're those wonderful moments where we break through with humour and kindness and sometimes with self-deprecation. We can send ourselves up. We can see, you know, the absurdity of life and how even in it we can find moments of real engagement that can lift our spirits. I think happiness has become a goal and it's... It's almost like the absence of pain, whereas with joy, you can be joyful and in and through pain. the pain. Yeah. And like in Ireland, Australia, I think one of the many, many gifts the Irish gave to certainly Australian Irish Catholics was that ability, black humour, as we say, that even in the most painful situations, we can laugh. And sometimes we can laugh at ourselves in those situations. So, so the first thing I say to these couples is take out the word love and put in your own name. And I've done that on retreat. And I think it's a really good thing for all of us to do because that is not an exhaustive list that Paul has in 1 Corinthians. It's just saying that you've got to be a person that practices what you preach. That's what he's saying. And it's moving away from love as a feeling. And while sexual attraction, thank God we're now celebrating it, that we need to say that uh, our sexuality and our sexual desires are a gift given by God. Sure, it needs purification, but so does everything else. So does my anger. So does my envy. So does my greed. They all need purification too. They need challenging and formation and funneling into the right uh, and appropriate means of expression. It's saying that it's not just a feeling, lovely feelings within it. It's about what we do. The second thing I say, which is a bit more light or lighter, at weddings that I've done, some hilarious things have been sung over the years. Like uh, the recessional hymn at a wedding I did was um, Another One Bites the Dust. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. <laughs> um, 
I don't know how to love him. That's that was one of my favorites. Um, I don't know how to love him from Jesus Christ movie star and Mary Magdalene's big love number. And again, portrayed as a prostitute, may I say, disgracefully, mm-hmm. a poor woman. And um, I love the rest of that being sung at a Catholic wedding. And I've had so many men before in very many ways. He's just one more. But in the book, I say that one of the funniest things ever sung at a wedding in Australia. I thought I knew the introduction when it started at the signing of the civil registers. Um, and I thought, gee, I know that piece. And next minute, this really lovely singer started singing yesterday. <laughs> All my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Like, seriously, who thought that was a good idea at the sacrament of matrimony? But what it indicates... Prophetic, maybe. (laughs) I hope not for them. But uh, I don't think we should be singing that on day one. I really don't. And maybe they want to sing it on day 45 or whatever, or year 45, but uh, not day one. So the point being that um, when we come to love, it's got to be about what we practice. And then that becomes who we are. Love is not just an attitude of our lives. It's also about who we become. Back to this survey. They said to these people that have been living for 50, uh, married 50, 60, 70 years, and they could describe their marriages as good. What are the three big things that have, you would say, have really helped your marriage be a good one? And in order, uh, there's no surprises that love came in at number one. Number two was forgiveness. And um, that we have to be able to forgive one another. And as we've talked about earlier, it wasn't that that lets it go or say it's unimportant. It deals with reality, but it deals with it with compassion. The final one, the third one, which I was absolutely delighted but surprised at, was gratitude. That they came back and said, and I remember the quote vividly, uh, because I often quote this now at weddings that I do. I can't think of a time in my 60-year marriage that my husband hasn't said please and thank you. From making a cup of tea to having a baby, and I always say I'd like to just note the difference in effort in those two, he's always said please and thank you. I've never felt taken for granted. It was a good habit we got into early in our marriage Because what I've discovered is gratitude and saying please and thank you and the gratitude that attends to it isn't about good manners, as good as they may be. It's about dignity and respect. And, you know, that's a simple thing, isn't it? That we don't lose the ability to say please and thank you to everyone. Like there's from a a ditch digger, a grave digger for that matter, to uh, a shop assistant, to the people we live with. Saying please and thank you establishes that this is a gift you're giving me, not my right, not my entitlement. And I think that keeps things in check. So they're the sorts of things I do in that chapter on 1 Corinthians 13.